didn't realize well, that's that. That's an interesting question. You know, I've never heard of it from that So let's talk about that. Let's talk you know, about I think that. you need to come over, stand in my to shoes. Agree to disagree. This is Top of Mind. I'm Julie Rose. Welcome to Stick With It, a new series of conversations we're launching on the podcast. You know by now that we are really interested in tackling complicated topics that people feel strongly about. And we want you to feel a little challenged when you listen each week. It's, it's a chance to practice kind of leaning in to that discomfort or cognitive dissonance, you might call it, so that something new might open up for you. Maybe empathy for a perspective you hadn't considered before. Maybe just better clarity on your own views on the topic. Hopefully, after going through that experience, listening each week, you find yourself a better citizen, a kinder neighbor, or a more effective advocate. Now, these chances to engage rather than retreat when we feel challenged pop up all of the time, and we want to get better at embracing them. So this new series that we're kicking off is a chance to hear what this looks like in people's everyday lives. And I'm joined in studio by Sam Payne, host of the Appleseed podcast and head of audio content at BYU Radio. Sam, hi. Welcome. Hi. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. You've got a couple of stick with it stories, actually, to share with us, and they're pretty different. Was it hard for you to come up with one when I approached you about this idea? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, there were a couple of things. In fact, your your framing of this idea, your framing of this concept, the, the thing that you want to do with these conversations, really kind of brought a couple of things to the surface almost immediately and 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 sort of gave me a framework to think through a couple of things that had happened hmm. just in my in 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 my life, you know, that helped me with some clarity, kind of process them. Well, let's dive in. Uh, what is this first story that you want to tell us about? Kind of give us whatever background information we need to set the scene. Well, uh, let me tell you, my entire adult life, I've maintained an avocation as a performing artist, hmm. uh, and and frankly, it's through the window of being a performing artist that I came to radio many years ago. You know, but I've worked on stage as an actor and as a jazz musician and as a storyteller. And it was an interaction as a storyteller that brought sort of one of these stick-with-it conversations to mind. Hmm. I was headed to a, a, a storytelling conference. There are such things, right? The, the other person in this story, her name is Susan O'Halloran. She's a wonderful storyteller and does a lot of work in uh, diversity coaching and using her skills as a storyteller to sort of walk through, uh, again, all sorts of things that have to do with diversity coaching. Okay. And and has asked lots and lots of storytellers over the years to contribute to kind of a database of stories about race. Hmm. And a lot of these are personal experiences. Because they're delivered by professional storytellers, they're often prepared pieces that they might present on stage or something like that. So Susan O'Halloran got with me and said, listen, when you're at this conference, would you mind sharing a story in front of our cameras uh, as a contribution to this database of stories on race? And it threw me into this real quandary. I realized that not only had I never prepared a story for the stage that had much to do with race, but it is a thing that had gone largely unconsidered in, 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 in my life. I live in a place that is, uh, that is not diverse and always have. 
there were n- all, virtually no black or brown kids at my elementary school or my junior high or my high school. And you're white. And I'm white. And I thought, you know, there there are uh, – th- this is something that in a lot of ways has existed th- th- uh, about which I have thought very carefully but that has existed outside of my experience. Mm. And so I wound up going to this storytelling conference and saying to Susan O'Halloran, essentially, I'm sorry, but I don't have any material that I think will be useful yeah. to you. This isn't – this isn't relevant to me. This, yeah, this uh, isn't. I, I'm not. I'm not qualified to talk about. I'm race. not qualified to talk about this. So this is. Uh, this is the moment then where it was the invitation. It was we want to hear about how race intersects with your life, yeah. white American yeah. man. <laughs> right. Yes. And 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 you. I guess you had you had a choice at that moment. Yeah. There, there's always a choice when we feel challenged. I mean, did you feel guilty? Did you feel um, sort of? Uh, inclined to kind of want to run away from this whole idea. Uh, I I I felt uh, evasive and I felt convicted. Mm. Um, I I felt yes I felt I felt guilty. You know you that that's a great word for how I felt. Okay. I thought good heavens this is this is this all although it's correct to characterize myself as 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 not having developed material or even clear thoughts about about this issue, what kind of person must I be to not have developed clear thoughts about this issue? Mm. You know, I, I, it was, it was a, it was a moment of great discomfort for me. Um, saying that to my friend, Susan O'Halloran was, was very difficult. And, and at first I thought, well, that, I mean, that's the end of the story. You know, I mean, I, I simply have to admit that I don't have material that falls into that category, you know, and then I would get on a plane and come home and continue to live my life. But I was in this, in this state of profound discomfort after, after that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, what happened next? What, you, well, you got on a plane and went on to live your life, but yeah, th- th- this is actually a little bit. Uh, it's it's a little bit difficult for me to talk about because I almost can't believe that I was the person that I was. You know, I came I came back from that storytelling conference in to, to my home, the, the place where I live, characterized by a by a marked lack of diversity. Yeah. And uh, and I started to I started to see things, places where race quite pointedly played a role in the lives of the people around me and 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 immediately adjacent to my world. Like what? Um, I I discovered that the neighborhood covenants in the neighborhood where I live still contain uh, there are restrictive covenants still on the books yeah uh, they're, they're not adhered to but that are r- racially restricted interesting that, yeah. that no persons of color or specific races no can live. servants of color can live in the homes in my neighborhood which and these racial covenants restrictive covenants were very very common yeah. throughout the middle of the century yeah, and you just right. sort of stumbled upon that I just sort of stumbled upon that but there were other things too I had maintained a long relationship uh, with uh, southern Utah the home of Dixie State University mm-hmm. and now the name of that university has has now been changed right but it again almost coincident with my coming home from this storytelling conference was at the heart of kind of a lot of scrutiny around its name. And as people opened the hood on that story, they found in there all kinds of uncomfortable things, things uh, about uh, reasons why 
these sort of Utah settlers yeah, had yeah. embraced had the embraced notion of name. Dixie and the name, which yeah. of course is is tied directly to the Confederacy. And how much later attending a school called Dixie with its mascot of the rebel, right, mm-hmm. gave rise to all kinds of sort of antebellum dances and mm-hmm. and uh, cotillions and even and and even things like fundraising by uh, auctioning off the football players as slaves, you know, mm. things like that. Yeah. So it's very, very, very difficult things. And these were not things that were distant from my experience. They were right there in, in the place that I lived and called my home. And here I was living adjacent to all of those things mm. and still thinking that race wasn't something that, that issues of race weren't, weren't things that touched my experience in any meaningful way. So the instinct in some of, I think a lot of us could imagine, it would be sort of like, well, that's not my problem. Yeah. Like, I didn't name the, the university that. I didn't um, name you know, the I didn't write that. the racial covenants I didn't covenants go to school there. there. I didn't, sure. You know, yeah. was there a moment where you kind of just chose to sort of grapple with that in, in a more personal way? I'm still doing it. Okay. You know, I'm still doing it. That's ongoing. I, uh, I, I, uh, my grandmother passed away some years ago, and uh, there came that uh, unusual moment in the passing of a loved one like that where you're sitting in casual conversation at her bedside, and she says, what of my physical effects would you like to have? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think well, that's a weird conversation. What I, but, but, but what I asked for was the autobiography of a great-great-great-grandfather. And that's a that's a character that's a person who is lionized in our in our family, an early Mormon pioneer, you know, uh, uh, among the vanguard pioneers and crossing the plains and things mm. like that. And and as I sort of got into that volume, I now had kind of the cognitive shelving on which to put some of the facts that I discovered there. Like, for example, he was the uh, he he was was the person in whose charge was placed the enslaved pioneers who came across the plains, uh, and that is a thing that I I almost can't believe that that was that that those details hadn't hadn't registered for me. I'd owned and read that book for a long time, you mm. know, but it was only after some of these experiences that, again, I, I used the phrase cognitive shelving. You know, mm. it's almost like there were these things just sort of floating around that now I had a shelf to put them on and could see them clearly. Uh, and it's been very difficult for me. Yeah. So you're presented with a, a very awkward and difficult um, sort of challenge to the yeah. fact that you hadn't engaged deeply on on how race and issues of racism had, had, touched, had, had touched your life. Yeah, um, that sort of preps you to to sort of stay with that discomfort rather than look for ways to kind of ignore it and That's push right. push it away. And and so um, you know, having all of these things kind of line up on the shelf for you in your mind. What I mean, what what effect has that had for you, or in what ways? I mean, we like to hope that by engaging in yeah. the discomfort. Maybe the discomfort doesn't go away, but we come away somehow glad that we went there yeah. instead of keeping it locked in a box. What has your experience been? Well, I'll tell you what it's done for me. Um, I think I may have been as as guilty as some are of when confronted with the possibility of a problem 
with how you and your people live to say, oh, no, that's not us. Yeah. You know, and what these experiences have done is is allowed me to approach some of those things first with uh, with with perhaps a healthy degree of skepticism and and a degree of self-examination, you know, and say, before I say that this is not a problem that we have, before I say this is not a thing of which we are guilty, let me look a bit, you know, uh, uh, let me be a little bit more fearless in my uh, observation. Hmm. I'm really thankful for that. That makes me, I mean, because I because I because I I feel like I know what it feels like to cross that threshold, you know, hmm. to be in ignorance on one side of a line and to understand a little to understand something a little better on on the other side of the line. I have to allow for the inevitability that I am standing now on the ignorant side of another line that I that I may cross. Yeah, there's know. yet more there's that you more. don't know. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> or we'll discover. But I, but, but I'm, I don't feel afraid of that. Hmm. Um, I don't feel afraid of that, and I don't feel, uh, I don't feel defensive of my ignorant stance. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I feel a little bit hungry uh, to to find out the way that things are. Yeah. That, that's. Uh, the things that I desire have changed, uh, and that's been valuable to me. I love, I love that you say I don't feel afraid. I think, um, I think that has been probably my uh, the the main experience that I've had in these in 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 sticking with the yeah. discomfort. Um, my, you know, I, I tend to be a very <laughs> fearful person. I'm afraid of things that, <laughs> that I'm afraid of anything that I can't control. I'm afraid of all the horrible outcomes that yeah. may come, you know, anything that I can't see clearly that lies before me. <laughs> Fear is one of my defaults and it kind of drives a lot of my uh, behaviors. And, you know, I think about that, the scripture in Second Timothy about, you know, God hath not given us, given us a spirit of fear, right. but of love. And yeah. I think it's power and a sound mind, yeah. something like that. But yeah. this idea that, you know, I walk around in this spirit of fear, but 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 this has been you know one of the most powerful tools I have found to yeah. dealing with that fear is to stick with it, like to sit with that fear, <laughs> sit, yeah. sit with the thing right. that is making me so uncomfortable until it no longer seems scary, and yeah. instead I'm able to be curious about it, yeah, um, uh, or even have some clarity because yeah. I you know I dared <laughs> to stick with it. Uh, and I'll tell you on the other side of that, and this 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 is still with me and I haven't been able to shake it uh, is the the embarrassment hmm. the, sh- the shame even yeah. of having stood for so long on the ignorant side of that line you know that's yeah. a I'm a grown up person in America and that that hurts me that convicts me I, I, that's the yeah. word I come back to I, I feel convicted yeah you know so have you developed any stories then the next time you get asked to share a story about race I well there's that one mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, ha- I I had a great yes the answer is that my stance toward the kinds of things that I put on stage has 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 changed to some degree huh. and I had a really I, I had a really dear opportunity. Uh, not too many months ago to attend the National Storytelling Festival and to run into Susan O'Halloran and to say, hey, The one who made that invitation to the, you initially. The one that made that invitation to me initially. And I was able to relate to her uh, that that change, 
that had that had occurred in me, you know. And there was a a, a, a wonderful warm embrace, and there was though though again I I still kind of have trouble with my own embarrassment and shame. She didn't, you know. Yeah. She just put her arms around me and said, "Yeah, that's what the journey looks like." Yeah. Sam Payne, host of the Appleseed Podcast, uh, head of audio content and BYU Radio. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us, Oh, Sam. thank really you for asking me. It's my pleasure. He is helping us kick off this new series of conversations on Top of Mind that we are calling Stick With It. And if I could turn to you, the listener, for just a moment, we would love to hear your story, too. Can you think of a time when you felt challenged and you made the choice to lean into that discomfort, to sit with it, to stick with the discomfort? And you're glad you did because you came out the other side with... I don't know, more clarity or a richer, you know, a rich experience or a deeper relationship or maybe less fear about a thing, which is often my experience. It could be from your personal life or your professional life. Um, And if we talk to you for the podcast, we don't have to use your full name, but we'd love to hear your story. So send us a quick email, topofmind at byu.edu. Now, Sam, before we let you go... um, you have a couple of stories that you that came to mind when I made this ask. And there's another one that's more that, that's very different from what you've just <laughs> shared. And it really struck a chord with me. So I was hoping you'd share that with us. Uh, I think it involves your daughter. Yeah, yeah. I, I would be happy to talk about that. Uh, our daughter um, has suffered from anxiety for many years. In fact, long before I knew her. I, I came to know my daughter when my wife and I started dating, mm. and, and our daughter was in junior high school then, and she's now a, a grown-up person. But again, she has suffered from anxiety, including intermittent panic attacks for a, a lot of years, and she's become very, very good at managing that anxiety with breathing exercises and with sort of concerted and purposeful conversations with her parents. I, I have to say she's kind of a pro at dealing with this thing that will that has been with her for a long time and may always be with her. And, uh, you know, doggone about a year and a half ago, I started having <laughs> intermittent feelings of extreme anxiety myself. Hmm. And there was a ton of stuff to pin it on, you know, big changes at work, uh, uh, the decline of my parents. My parents have been in decline, kind of a rapid decline over the last little while. Um, the pandemic, of course, you know, and my tendency, I think, was just simply kind of to kind of run away from the feelings that I was having or maybe even worse to to pass judgment on them. Right. To assume that they were simply a symptom of a busy schedule or whatever. And and that if I could you know, just get out of those situations, they'd go away. The symptoms of anxiety would go away, you yeah. know, or, or, or even if just I ignore kind of, them. Yeah. Or even if I could just di- more diligently bury myself in my work or family mm-hmm. concerns or whatever, that, that those things would kind of magically go away, you know? Yeah. And that seems, uh, strange <laughs> because after all, I was, I was familiar with how anxiety behaves in a person's life. Right. You had this model in your I daughter. had this model. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it just didn't occur to me uh, to simply sit with the feelings I was having, to kind of observe them occurring and to recognize them as, you know, an actual phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. you know? And once I did that, once I allowed myself to kind of sit quietly with that notion, the notion that I was experiencing something like the phenomenon that my daughter had experienced for so long, it became something that I could really look at clearly. And she became an enormously valuable 
resource. You know, I found myself, I found myself kind of saying, "What would my daughter do?" <laughs> in, in a lot, <laughs> of, in a lot of different situations, <laughs> you know, and uh, and I, I would, I you know, I'd ask that privately to myself, and I'd ask that to my wife, and of course, I'd ask that to our daughter mm. too, you know. And I've adopted some of those techniques, some of those breathing exercises, and 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 some of that concerted. Uh, conversation to sort of work through those, you know, those feelings of anxiety. And I think I've been able to look in a much more effective way at, frankly, something that may be part of my life long term, Mm. you know. You're maybe coping with it better than you would have otherwise. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. Rather than simply brushing it away or rather than simply discounting it as a symptom of I don't know, not being diligent enough in my work or my family pursuits or my church pursuits, you know? Yeah. You know, I thank you for sharing that. I I think this one strikes a particular chord because I, too, am a very anxious person. And um, for most of my life have um, been very phobic about Mm -hmm. emotions and, and anxiety and sort of like, I, I don't want to wallow in it. It's better if I just, you know, ignore it or try to fix it or like get in there and push against it, you know, and having these battles with my emotions and my anxieties yeah. or just sort of like trying to be crazy busy so I don't think about it. and Maybe it'll just go away. <laughs> fingers crossed. And a couple of years ago, I was like, well, that's really not working. I think I'm grown adult enough to realize <laughs> this isn't super effective. And I took this mindfulness. Um, my, yeah, it was a uh, it was a mindfulness based stress reduction Hmm. course you know I was so shocked when they when you know we would be sitting there and doing these quiet meditations and all of my anxiety would be swirling in my head and I was trying to like make it go away and they're like no no you just sit and you feel it and I was like but if I feel it it's gonna carry me away into the land of whatever (laughs) that's the thing I don't want to feel (laughs) (laughs) and realizing that if you sit with it and feel it it will dissipate. Yeah. Yeah. I got I, I grew into my 40s before I realized that yeah. that was true. Yeah. Um, and so on a very kind of like the most intimate level possible, this idea of sitting with it or sticking with it, kind yeah. of allowing it, allowing yeah. that discomfort to be there and being curious about it in a way that then can take you to someplace new. <laughs> That's right. It seems like kind of an elemental interpretation of the mm-hmm. stick with it idea. Yeah. Right. But for me, being able to sit with and acknowledge the anxiety that I was feeling and not to simply brush it aside, to observe it carefully has allowed me to 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 beat it. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sam, thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Sam Payne, director of audio content and BYU Radio, also host of the Appleseed podcast, which you can find on all the podcast platforms. This is Top of Mind, and now it's your turn. Email your stick with it story to topofmind at byu.edu. And stay tuned for more of these conversations to pop up on the Top of Mind podcast feed in the coming weeks. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon.